Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning as we open God's Word. Let's, um, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we approach His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the truth in Your Word. God, as we, as we read Your Word and are impacted by it, we follow a pattern where You speak and we respond. And so God, as we, as we read your words, we sing in response. As we read your words, we pray in response. And God, I, it is my prayer that as we study your word, we will be doers in response and not hearers only. God, I pray that as we study this passage this morning, we see the heart of someone that is sensitive enough to feel the weight of sin that needs confessed. God, I thank you that you made forgiveness and pardon possible by securing it through Jesus. Help us to see that in this passage this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter nine. We are uh, we are moving along quickly through our series in Daniel. Um, I'm not going to recap the whole series again, like I often do. Um, but as we as we have wor- as we work our way through this series that we've that we've titled "How Long." Um, I don't know if we've got the sermon graphic. Do we have the series graphic? It's just so cool. Um, it makes a cool background in case people don't want to look at me. Um, <clears throat> I don't blame you. I never look in the mirror. Can you tell? I'm just kidding. That's not true. But it shows. Um, we, we, we titled the series, How Long? Because that's a phrase that, that we see Daniel use, um, and many of the prophets use, as they, as they, especially those that are experiencing the captivity or experiencing the, a season where the wicked seem to prosper. And they are, they're communicating with the Lord as prophets, as God is giving them, uh, the message, and they are given audience, um, with the Lord. So often their question is, how long, O Lord? And, and so as, as we go through, as we go through the prophecies, and, and, you know, I, I actually, this, this chapter has at the end of it, um, one of the most difficult and most controversially debated prophecies in all of scripture, uh, which we're actually not going to spend that much time on this morning. Um, proportionally, most of this chapter is not that. Um, here in the middle of the second half of the book of Daniel, where almost all of its prophecy, we, we, he, we see Daniel pause from that. And for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit led him to record, to write down his prayer. As he experienced the visions that God had given him, the prophetic visions that showed him what was to come. As the angels challenged him, write down the vision that you've seen, for it is, you know, and seal it up, for it is, it refers to many days uh, in the future. As he's carrying the weight of that, as he's spending time in God's Word, we, we read in this, in this passage, we're going to get to it, I promise, um, that he's, he's studying the prophet Jeremiah, which actually was one of his contemporaries. Jeremiah, um, Daniel would have been a, a young man carted off um, in, the, in Daniel chapter 1, carted off to Assyria, or to Babylon, 
um, at the time when Jeremiah was had been prophesying and and still was. Jeremiah was uh, remained back in in Israel and lived out his days there, but but he's studying the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, and and he is moved to respond. And so as we, as we, you know, we often follow this pattern in our services where we read scripture and then we, we sing or pray in response. And we see this pattern in scripture. And this is a great chapter where we see, um, he is reading God's word and he is moved by the Holy Spirit to respond. So let's, uh, let's read, uh, beginning in chapter nine. And I'll, I'll, I will only give the one footnote here. The verse one, he says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. This coincides with Daniel in the lion's den. Um, the, the, um, chapter 6, um, Daniel is an old man here. Um, this is very near the, the end of his, his time as a, as a government official, his time as an um, influential figure there in the city of Babylon. Um, this coincides with the, at least the third king that he served under. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, With fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oaths that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, 
as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Therefore, O Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. May God bless the reading of his word and give us understanding. Um, I'm going to be honest, the last passage in this chapter where um, Gabriel gives gives Daniel the... um, the, the prophecy of, this, of the 70 weeks uh, was literally the hardest question on my ordination exam uh, that I had to take. I had to do some research on that one. Um, and I will, we'll talk about, you know what, let's start there. Because that's not where I want to spend most of our time. Um, I, I cannot, uh, with confidence, this is literally, this is probably the most debated and controversial um, prophecy in all of Scripture as far as the details of the 70 weeks, how long is the week, how long, you know, all of these different things. Well, part of it we know for sure. Um, he talks about there will be seven weeks between the time when uh, the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem 
to the coming of an anointed one, there will be seven weeks. Well, that we know if you figure a week is actually literally, again, it's hard to translate, but like literally it's seven sevens or something like that. Seventy-seven. Anyway, so it it basically, so if you, you multiply it out, it's like 490 years from when shortly after Daniel's ministry, um, we see uh, King Cyrus allows Ezra and Nehemiah, um, the, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, he allows the Jewish people to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. That is the going out of the word to build and restore. From that time to the birth of Christ is exactly 490 years. So we got that part. That one's easy. Um, the rest of it is uh, is very challenging. Is it referring to um, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D.? Well, certainly that kind of works, but maybe. It, but is is part of it talking about the Antichrist in the end times? And to all of which I answer, probably yes. Uh, sure, um, maybe. Often prophecy has a, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. And the prophet is like looking down. I'm sure you've heard this illustration. The prophet is like one standing standing at the base of a mountain range looking at all the mountains. And he sees, he tells you what he sees, but he doesn't realize that between this peak and that peak is a huge valley that could be thousands of years. Um, but he sees this event, this event, and this event. And he's describing it to you, but it's a, those events may on the timeline be a very long distance apart. And so um, we certainly see pieces of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. We see pieces of uh, the end times. We see pieces of what appear to be the Antichrist, what we see in Revelation. Um, I'm not, as a young preacher, going to attempt in any confidence to give you some clear presentation on interpreting that. I'm way out of my depth on that. Um, I've read some good... Some good stuff on it. So should you. Um, but most of this chapter is not that. Most of this chapter is something that we can study this morning and we can draw some real application to our lives. And I don't say that to say that the, prof- the prophetic stuff that's hard to understand isn't profitable. The Bible says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, uh, instruction and in righteousness. It, it's, it's all beneficial. And um, some scripture isn't better than other scripture. Um, But for our uh, purposes this morning, we're going to focus on the first two-thirds of this chapter. And what we see here is a prayer of repentance, a prayer of confession. Um, If you've been here uh, for any period of time, you've probably picked up on the fact that, um, that we do that here. Um, we we find that there are there are many prayers of confession in Scripture, um, often in the Psalms, uh, sometimes in, in other other areas where we will read, and we try to you know also respond in in confession. It's also important because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come and has atoned for our sin and has secured our pardon. That we always follow that with a with a with a verse that the that the Presbyterians would call an assurance of pardon. You know, there are promises in Scripture that assure us that our salvation has been secured by grace through faith, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, not by our performance, not by our, you know, working hard enough or being good enough, only through the blood of Christ. Our pardon has been secured if we have faith in Christ. And so it is important that we put those together, and that's why we have Thanksgiving that follows our time of confession.
It is always interesting, though, to study the Old Testament prophets where they get, in this case, confession and prayer for deliverance and often by the end, even thankfulness for the deliverance that will come, even though the Messiah has not yet come. I don't know about you, but I am, I am deeply challenged by the prophet's ability to speak in confidence of things that will come, but have not yet. Do you, do you find that, like, like me, you, you struggle with, with doubt that God's actually going to do what He says He's going to do? I, I can struggle with that sometimes. You, you know, it's like I pray for things, and, and I, I, I hope, I, mean, I hope so. I, I struggle to pray in confidence the way we see in Scripture sometimes. It is hard um, in our limitations, especially um, if we are not deeply rooted in Scripture, to um, keep in front of our minds that God, for His own name's sake, always fulfills His promises. We see in here a, a prayer of repentance. It is, it is interesting. We've been through a lot of the book of Daniel at this point. We've been through all the, all the stories um, one thing that's very interesting to me, if you, if you put this chapter in context of the first year of King Darius, what else do we know happened in the first year of King Darius the Mede? Something significant happened to a very old man. He was caught praying and thrown into a den of lions. And we don't know when this was. Obviously, Gabriel shows up at the end, so it's probably not the exact same time. But, but this, this is the same time period where he gets caught, Daniel gets caught praying and thrown into the lion's den. These are the kind of prayers that Daniel was praying as these men turn him in, report him, set, set a trap for him, and get him thrown into the lion's den in an attempt to kill him. How many of these things that, that, that Daniel is confessing do you feel like he probably personally, actively participated in? Based on what we know about Daniel. I, I think we can safely say not, not a lot. Nobody's perfect except Jesus. So certainly no one is exempt from the need for confession and repentance. No one. And yet he is confessing things that surely he took no part in. And that's something that I want to look at this morning. Um, Brian Chapel wrote in his book, The Gospel According to Daniel, that, um, and this, this one hit me hard this week. Those who follow Christ must be prepared to suffer for the sins of others. I don't like that. I'm uncomfortable with that. I got enough problems. Don't make your problems my problems, right? I didn't even do it. Okay, kids row. You're going to like this one. Riley, it's going to look like I'm looking and talking to you, but really I'm talking to little kids, but you can listen in. Okay, kids. Addie. No. <laughs> okay. Have, uh, have you kids ever... Okay, I'm going to be honest. The three of you, I know for sure this has happened. Um, have you kids ever like gotten in trouble because somebody left a mess in another room and just like all the kids were in trouble for it? 
but you actually weren't part of the group that made the mess. Oh, you shake your head like that's all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, this happens. Have you? I want you to think about the difference between these two things I'm going to say. Would it be a nice thing, wouldn't it be a nice thing, after cleaning up that mess, to say, even though you weren't the one that made the mess, Mommy, I'm really sorry that they made such a big mess. Right? Is that, it's kind of nice to apologize, even, even for somebody else. But, but maybe actually some of the mess was yours but not very much of it, like hardly any, but a little bit. Does it sound different to say, Mommy, I'm sorry we made such a big mess out there. Which one sounds better? Why does we sound better? That's right, because all of us did it. Wow, good job, Gar. We didn't even plan that. Um, (laughs) This is where Daniel's at. He he is confessing on behalf of the nation and at the same time acknowledging that, that there is a personal need for him to confess as well. Here's, here's something that we can, we can I, I think, draw from this that is valuable. It is not valuable to distance ourselves from those sinners that need to repent. What did Jesus say in the company of the Pharisees, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said that. And that, even though that doesn't seem like it ties in with this chapter in Daniel, that was mulling in my brain this week a lot. And just thinking about that phrase, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Who is righteous? No one, only Jesus. But those who think they are righteous, those who think they have no need to confess and repent, will not repent, right? That's called self-righteousness. I think I'm good enough for God. I think I have met or at least I'm enough better than everybody else around me that God will approve of me. That person with that mindset does not confess and repent because they don't see the need for repentance. And Jesus, though he would... God God says he is not willing that any should perish, fully recognizes that those will not repent. Only sinners are called to repentance except that's everyone. But the ones that will repent are the ones that recognize, I, I, I too am a sinner, and I too have transgressed against a holy God. It doesn't matter if I'm better than the people next to me. I am equally in need of a Savior. And that's, that's the important piece. You, know, you go back to the illustration of the kids that made a mess, and like one of them didn't really make that much of a mess, but they all kind of participated, some more than others. How many made the mess? All. All of them. 
Just because the one made less mess than the others doesn't, doesn't put them in any less need to participate in the cleaning up. How am I doing? I'm usually real bad on illustrations, so I can actually try real hard here. But, but the reality is that we are all in equal need of a Savior. Don't, don't hear me say that all sin is equal. Uh, all you gotta do is take a little stroll through the Old Testament. You'll quickly see that God, um, God puni- God's punishment for some sins is prescribed much, uh, sterner or stricter than others. But how much sin puts you in need of a Savior? Any. So it, do- it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter that all sin isn't, isn't equal in how heinous it is. All it takes is any sin at all. And you are just as much in need of a Savior as the person next to you or the person down the street from you or the person who's the worst person you can imagine. Our ability to save ourselves is none at all. Our need for Jesus to atone for our sin is immeasurable. I want to look again at this, this passage we read from Isaiah. This was another, another verse that was just kind of percolating in my mind this week. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here, he acknowledges his personal sin and his corporate sin. He acknowledges his personal sin and the sins of those that he is associated with just by virtue of being part of the nation of Israel. And he shares in some way some of their guilt because sin is not the same as sins. It's not about the specific things that you did that were wrong. It's the fact that our identity, until Jesus changes it, our identity is sinner. It's not just what you do, it's who we are. Apart from Christ, we are sinners. We don't just, sometimes we do sins. We need to be forgiven not just, not just for the, what we've done, but we, we, like, we stand guilty by virtue of our identity. We are, we are sinners in need of repentance and forgiveness. In this Isaiah passage, one of the seraphim flies to him, takes a burning coal from the altar and touches his mouth with it. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And that was the that was kind of the part that I focused on because what do we see in Scripture as atoning for sin? Exactly. The blood of Jesus, or, or, or blood at all. It says in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. I, I may be out on a limb here. I don't, I don't think so, though. Um, so it was interesting to me that the part that is focused on is the lips of the prophet. And what had those lips immediately before this just done? In verse 5 confessed sin. If you confess with your mouth 
Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The work that atoned for his sin was not done by his lips. It was applied to him through his faith. Salvation is only by grace through faith. Salvation in the New Testament, we see, is by grace through faith. Now, salvation in the Old Testament is by grace through faith. It's the same. It wasn't different. They were believing in faith in a Messiah that would come. And now we believe in faith in a Messiah that has come. And it's the same Messiah. It's the same faith in different spots on the timeline. But it is the same. And here we see the prophet confessing with his mouth his need for salvation. And what does he receive through his faith? Grace. His sin atoned for. His guilt taken away. Not by the burning coal from the altar, but by the blood of Christ. If you zoom out on that Isaiah 6 passage, you see the, what follows is the, the coming, you know, we see a picture of the, the coming Savior. Only in Christ we forgiven. <clears throat> if you turn back in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, I, th- I thought it'd be valuable to, to look briefly at one of the passages that Daniel would have been reading. Verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. This is important. Um, That is Jeremiah 29.11 in context. Now remember, we can do all things through a verse taken out of context. So, um, Jeremiah 29.11 makes a great life verse if you like to take verses out of context. Um, does God have plans for us? Yes. Does God have, does, does God love us and have a wonderful plan for our life if we will confess our sins and repent? Absolutely. But that verse is talking about the nation of Israel being restored to Jerusalem. So, Let's take verses in their context and study them as they are meant to be. Um, but here, here Daniel, Daniel reads this, 70 years completed from Babylon, and he realizes as an old man, wait a minute, when I got here, I was 15 or whatever. I'm like 72 now. I'm making these numbers up, but that's, that's pretty close. I was a teenager when I got here, and I'm in my 70s now. Wait a minute. This is... The fulfillment of this is right around the corner. And God, God is giving him understanding and sh- shining, shedding light on this prophecy of Jeremiah that he's reading and he's realizing, wait a minute. God, just like the prophet said, displaced us from the nation, the land that he had given us, brought us into captivity to chastise us for the wickedness we had done. And he says we, because corporately, it's not that it's not that God is punishing people. You know, it's not, it's not so much about like, oh, you know, your your grandpa did something bad, so you're getting punished for it. Uh, it's not so much that. But have you ever 
had to unjustly bear the consequences of someone else's sin. Any of you married? Yeah, then that's that happens sometimes. Your life is bound to another. It's obvious in marriage, but it's also true in the body of Christ. Those who follow Christ must be prepared to suffer for the sins of others. When one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. Have you ever um, gotten a splinter under your fingernail? I have. More than once. I used to work in a wood shop. There is no part of your body that doesn't hurt when there is a splinter under your fingernail. Not in my experience. And I don't know if that's a good illustration, but when when one member of the body suffers, in a way we all suffer. It doesn't mean it's all of our fault. You know, if 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 this person over here decides to, uh, you know, cheat on their spouse, that's not all of our fault, okay? But let's be honest, in a church, there's fallout, right? And we all experience that. Anyway, I don't want to get detailed into that because that's not really where we're going with it. But, but there, there is a reality that, that we are all affected by one another's sin. That's also an important personal thing to apply. My sin doesn't just affect me. If I'm married, it affects my wife. If I have kids, it affects my kids. And so often, because we are blinded by our sin and our pr- we are prone to self-deception in ways that we, we scarcely understand, we can't even see it. We, we might know my sin could affect some people if it got found out, when in reality, it's already affecting people in many ways. Some things we can look at here is that our only hope is in God's salvation and God's timing. If I was having points, that would be point number one. God's salvation in God's timing. And one of the things that burdened Daniel's heart in here as he's confessing is he's realizing, wait a minute, these 70 years are almost up. The time for us to return and rebuild Jerusalem is right around the corner and the hearts of, of us as people, corporately, collectively, our hearts have not turned back to God. Our hearts have not responded to this. You know, I mean, even Daniel probably, I, I'm, I, I'm extrapolating here. But maybe Daniel's looking at himself and saying, you know what? I've got this cushy government job. And I've managed to, like, keep my position across multiple regimes hostile takeovers and somehow I'm still here and like I've actually got pretty cushy thing going on here pretty comfortable living over here in Babylon maybe not feeling the squeeze like he should um and he looks he looks out across the you know the, the displaced nation of Israel and realizes there is not a collective cry going up to God God we we have been here a long time couple generations now we are we have sinned god please restore us back to our nation there was none of that 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 was it was like silence and crickets you know thinking wait a minute if this punishment is for this which it is 
And somewhere along the line here, almost 70 years in, we, we ought to have like felt like, oh man, how long, oh Lord? And, you know, it's like, it's like, this, what he's, what he's acknowledging is, it's like, it's like you sent your kid to their room for timeout, and you even like kind of forgot they were there, so then like it's like an hour later, oh man, they're still back there. And you go and like open the door, and, uh, you realize why the kid wasn't bothered that you forgot, because they, they're like playing with stuff. And like, well, that lesson was completely lost. And that's kind of what Daniel is seeing here. He's like, everybody's pretty comfortable. I mean, Jeremiah did say, you know, have families, buy houses, get comfortable. You're going to be here for a while. Seek the welfare of the city. I mean, I guess they're doing that. But like, nobody is grappling with the sin in their hearts, anticipating restoration. And that's why, that's why we see this urgency in, in Daniel's in Daniel's prayer here, he recognizes it's at the end of his life. He just, you know, in the same year, he's he's going to be either just has been or is going to be thrown in the lion's den. He recognizes his influence isn't what he maybe hoped it would be at this point in his life. All he can do is pray, which isn't nothing. And he just pours out his heart to God, recognizing, God, according to the prophecy, you're going to restore us soon, and we're not ready. We've been in time out for 60-some years. And we haven't learned the lesson. God, the people's hearts are not ready. And so he's, he's confessing and repenting on behalf of the nation and also including himself in that. See, confession is not just about me. We see him praying for things as well, for God's forgiveness and praying for God's restoration. Petition is not just for me. It's not just about me. And salvation is not just about me. He, that's another thing that Daniel's praying for. Daniel's praying for salvation, not only from their captivity, but, like, let's be honest, he's, he is praying here for salvation from their sins. He is recognizing, I, I love this, this prayer of confession. This may, may be, this is one of the best ones in Scripture because, like, the nation of Israel is in a place where they need some things. They're completely displaced. You know, they're under somebody else's rule. Like people that don't even care about like anything about God. They're they're surrounded by this culture that's hostile to God. And Daniel recognizes that their greatest need is to have their sins forgiven, not to get their land back, not to rebuild the temple so they can sacrifice again, not to, you know, not all of that. All of those things would be great, but their greatest need is to have their sins forgiven. It says here at the end, Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. And it's so powerful what he says here that, that, that the forgiveness is not because of our righteousness. Oh man. That second part of verse 18 you should underline in your Bible. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Wow. God, I recognize as I pray for your forgiveness, as I pray for your salvation, I don't deserve it. There's no redeeming quality in me. There's no reason you ought to forgive me unless it brings you glory. And that's what he says here, for your name's sake. God, restore our nation, not because our nation deserves it, not because we spent enough time in time out, Restore a nation 
because other nations laugh at us and we bear your name. We're your representatives and we're a joke in the world. God, restore us for your name's sake. What powerful perspective. This, this, this chapter is a master class in how to pray for confession. How to pray for repentance and forgiveness. Our only hope is God's salvation and God's timing. Our hope is genuine when we agree with God. So confession, if you haven't heard this before, confession doesn't mean telling God your sins. Confession means agreeing with God about the sinfulness of your sins, our sins, my sins. The word confess means to say the same. The Greek is homo logos, same word, to say the same, to agree. That God, I look at my sin and I don't just see things I should tell you about. I look at my sin and I see what you see. I see transgressions against a holy God. Transgressions which cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. And that blood was shed through Jesus Christ. Our hope crystallizes when we agree with God and seek Him. So let's, let's remember that when we confess and repent, the benefit is not in wallowing in our sin. That now we're, you know, if, if that's it, or, or wallowing in our, um, oh, uh, God, I'm so terrible. I'm like a worm and like, you know, there's all these things. You'll notice that in these prayers of confession that we read here in Daniel, in the Psalms, other places, we, we see a turning point in the prayer where there is always, God, I am so sinful, you are so holy, but you are a God of mercy and you do forgive. There is, there is a seeking after God that comes as well. We don't just confess. We move from that to an acknowledgement that our hope is in a real thing. God really has sent Jesus to fully secure our pardon. The work is complete. And the key thing here as we close is that it's not just about me. Is that salvation? Boy, if I only pray for my own salvation, what does that say about me? Now, I can't, I can't pray for someone else and get them into heaven. But I can pray that others in my life will also see their need for repentance and confess their sin and receive God's forgiveness in the same way. I can pray for that. I can pray that God would send His Holy Spirit to work in their hearts, to move in their lives, to see their need for a Savior that is the same as my need for a Savior. There's no hope without Christ. But in Christ we are forgiven. Let's pray. God, I thank You for this lesson in how to pray. How to pray not just for ourselves, but how to pray for others. How to pray in a way that seeks your glory. Not just deliverance from my circumstances. God, I don't, 
I don't know that I have often prayed as Daniel does that that I would finish learning the lesson. God, so often when we find ourselves under your chastisement, under the consequences of our own sinful choices, we can think of little more than deliverance from our circumstances, but God, everything you allow in our lives is for a purpose. And so often we don't pray for the purpose to be fulfilled. We just pray for the uncomfortable circumstances to be removed. God, help me to, help me to want the lesson. Help me to stay under the, under the pressure of those circumstances to learn what you have for us. God, I pray. I pray for those in our community who do not know you, that you would continue to open the doors for us to invite them to meet and follow Jesus, our neighbors. God, we pray collectively that you would that you would forgive our sin. God, we know that that is a promise that you give us. But God, help us to see it and confess it on a regular basis. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the way you showed that to us through Jesus Christ, your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.